What are the top security issues for banking institutions looking toward 2011? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking about banking and security in 2011. We're talking with Derek Tumalak, the Vice President of Product Management with SafeNet. Derek, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me today, Tom. Just to get us started, Derek, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course your role with SafeNet. Sure. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Product Management for SafeNet's data encryption products. Um, I've been working in information security for more than 12 years with a large focus on financial institutions, payment, and retail. Uh, I've worked closely with engineering teams on implementing encryption and key management solutions, but I've also been working closely with customers and partners on helping them achieve compliance and implementing security best practices. Uh, SafeNet, uh, just a little bit about the company, uh, we're a global leader in information security. We protect identities, transactions, data, and communications, and so we secure online financial transactions, payment information, intellectual property, network communications, pretty much any sensitive information asset throughout its life cycle. So Derek, data protection is the big issue today. When you think about financial institutions and data protection, what do you see as the biggest trends impacting these institutions? Sure. I see two large trends uh, happening today. Uh, one is man in the browser, and the other is data protection really from a data-centric perspective. So let me talk a little bit about man in the browser. Um, essentially, it's a type of malware and is one of the largest growing threats to online banking services. Uh, essentially, an end user's web browser is infected, and uh, the pages and the transaction content itself can be modified completely unknown to that end user. Um, so obviously that, that financial transaction can be modified, and it's obviously a, a very significant threat today uh, to the financial services community. Uh, financial institutions can actually counter some of these attacks uh, by util utilizing a transaction verification, and that's, uh, you know, that can be in the form of some kind of out-of-band transaction, so picking up a phone and, and validating that a transaction has occurred properly. There are several other techniques as well, but I would say that's definitely one of the top-of-mind issues that uh, the financial uh, community is seeing today. The other area, uh, data protection, and again from a data-centric perspective, uh, the way I view it is it's really the challenge of realizing complete control over all the information as assets that exist within a financial institution. Now that may sound like a very uh, large goal, but when you think about it, if you're holding information assets, whether it's credit card numbers, account numbers, uh, customer information, it could be employee information, but when you're holding this information, there's really a responsibility to ensure that that information can't fr flow freely uh, outside of the financial institution or into the hands of uh, you know, hackers, ultimately. So what I've seen is uh, several banks are, uh, are really taking a position around how to, how to obtain that control and take a more serious look at where they're storing the information and what they're doing to provide the necessary controls. Uh, some of it's being driven by compliance, so PCI compliance is a pretty big area, but also by risk mitigation and security best practices. Well, Derek, that's a great overview of some of the trends. And as we look at the calendar today, we're just over halfway through 2010. Broadly, what do you believe that financial institutions need to be doing today to prepare for 2011? Sure. So, so as I mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of the key areas, man in the browser, data protection. So uh, looking at man in the browser, 
really looking at what can be done to implement transaction verification, and along with that, looking at uh, stronger multi-factor authentication solutions, so going beyond username and password, um, whether that's using an external device like a, a token that you plug into your computer, or if it's using your mobile handset as a means of authentication. So really implementing stronger security measures uh, in the areas of transaction verification as well as authentication. And then on the data protection front, as I mentioned earlier, uh, really gaining control of those information assets. Now, uh, you know, a moment ago I was describing that, that kind of high-level view of taking control of your data, but the important thing to understand is that the data lives everywhere. Uh, it could be in your databases, so on an Oracle system, it could be on your file servers, they obviously end up on your laptops, but they can move out through email, um, onto your removal media, so thumb drives, uh, and they can, of course, leave the enterprise, right? So they can go up into uh, managed services. Uh, obviously, I think everybody around today has uh, webmail accounts, such as Google, Hotmail, Yahoo. So all of these uh, represent areas that information can move, and it's really up to the financial institutions to gain the necessary controls so that they can ensure that the information doesn't move in an uncontrolled manner to some of these other locations. And then as a last point, uh, really looking at disaster recovery and business continuity because you know, implementing security measures is one thing, but you also have to be able to ensure that um, if there's a failure, you can properly restore your systems. Um, so I would say all of that is really where uh, financial institutions need to be looking towards as they move into 2011. Well, that's good. Now, I want to talk to you about some specific challenges now, or in some cases, really opportunities. And the first one is one you touched upon a few minutes ago, tokenization. What's important for financial institutions to know about tokenization? Sure. So, so tokenization, the way I view it, is, is, is a new tool or approach to uh, you know, information protection or data protection. And the basic idea around tokenization is rather than um, storing a credit card number, as an example, because I think credit cards are really one of the, the drivers around tokenizations, uh, particularly in the payment industry. But rather than storing a credit card number, for example, in an Oracle or SQL Server database, what I do is I store a token. And what that token is, is it looks like a credit card number, but it's not actually the true credit card number. So what that means is, uh, if I'm going through some kind of audit, like a PCI audit, if I'm not storing that actual credit card number in that Oracle or SQL Server database, I never, I, I no longer need to go through PCI compliance um, on that database server, uh, which takes it out of scope, which is very nice for, for many of our customers and that, that, that we speak to. What happens is the actual credit card number is stored in another location, typically centralized, and the appropriate controls are put in place over in that database. So encryption, access control is, is put in place. And so the basic idea is if you have five or 10 different uh, systems that are storing credit card numbers or any other type of sensitive information, you can move that sensitive information away from those systems and, and move it into what we would call a, a some people call it a data vault, uh, maybe a tokenization manager, but really consolidating all of those sensitive information assets in one place and applying the, the proper controls there. Um, obviously, it reduces audit scope, um, and it gives customers uh, you know, more flexibility in terms of how they deploy their applications. So let me give you an example. One thing that um, you know, uh, a customer can, can benefit from is if there is an application that's really just taking this credit card number and passing it along, it doesn't really care if it's a token or not. So um, you know, that application is taken out of PCI scope uh, and no changes need to be made there. Now, the, the only thing I'll say is that tokenization is not necessarily a silver bullet in all instances, but it certainly is a tool that can provide a lot of value uh, to many of our financial customers. 
Another topic for you, Derek, and it's one you hear come up an awful lot these days when you're talking with security leaders, cloud computing. What's important for financial institutions to understand? Absolutely. So, so cloud computing or, or managed services, uh, you know, whatever the, the term is nowadays, obviously a, a very large topic. Uh, this year at the RSA conference in San Francisco, it, it was, you know, cloud was everywhere. And so whether you're talking about software as a service, platform as a service, or infrastructure as a service, a lot of it comes down to trust. So um, when you get into these managed services, the, the, the whole notion that comes into play is, how do I know that I can trust uh, this service provider? Uh, that's, that's giving me the service. So if, I, if I'm a financial institution and let's say I want to store some of my uh, information, my backups for example, up into cloud storage. So I'm using elastic storage and I'm really just using um, you know, this, the service provider for storage capabilities. On the other hand, I might have something that's a little more advanced like Salesforce.com where I'm using software as a service and you know, if you think about it, the real challenge is they're holding you know, your financial institution's sensitive information assets. And how can you trust or ensure that, that the data that they're managing uh, isn't necessarily compromised? Uh, another thing that I've seen as well is, is when you go across uh, uh, country boundaries, right? So you go internationally. And, you know, obviously different countries have different regulation in terms of how data is managed. And, and so that definitely comes into play. And, you know, if you're an organization based in the U.S. or in Canada or some other country, you have to think about the legislation and, and the laws, uh, you know, for each of those uh, local governments. So a lot of implications when it comes down to cloud computing. I think the basic concept, coming back to the data protection topic that I spoke to a moment ago, is if you're really able to take a data-centric approach to locking down your data, so um, if you actually protect the data itself and you make that the boundary, then your data can really flow anywhere. So out to another country, um, up into the cloud somewhere, because you don't necessarily know what a cloud provider is doing. You know, they may have... Uh, they may store their information in some other uh, geographic location. Um, obviously, you can have SLAs that you put in place, but really, if you can take control of the data yourself, uh, that puts you really in the best uh, position when it co comes to cloud computing. One last topic for you is one that I don't hear banking and security leaders talking a lot about, so I'd be eager to hear your perspective. That's key management. Sure. So, so when I spoke a moment ago around uh, data-centric protection or locking down your data or gaining control, you know, one of the key elements or the key capabilities that comes into play there is really the, the, the concept of encryption. So if you encrypt your data and you move it up into the cloud or send it off into the ether somewhere, um, you know, the, 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 the basic idea is you can't decrypt that unless you have the necessary key to unlock that information. So this is where key management comes into play. So this actually ties in very nicely to the previous topic, cloud computing. Um, but key management uh, has really evolved in, in the sense that historically people have had keys relating to identities, right? So I'm a particular user, whether I have a certificate. But now in the last, I would say, five to 10 years, we've really seen key management evolve and, and uh, I'm starting to see it explode around uh, data at rest protection. So I've got storage systems, I've got files, I've got information in databases, and how do I manage all of the keys that are used to lock down and protect that information? And so, you know, obviously we see each of the different systems, whether they're for identities or if they're for databases or laptops, they obviously rely on some form of key management. And where I'm seeing uh, the key management, uh, I guess, uh, technology evolve is really towards an enterprise key manager. And so we're seeing certain standards evolve. 
the newest one, which uh, was launched uh, just over a year ago, and version one is, is about to be finalized, I believe, this month, is the KMIP standard, which is the Key Management Interoperability Protocol, uh, which many large organizations across the globe are participating in. So we're seeing a lot of traction there and uh, a lot of success, actually, in its early stages. There's also the IEEE 1619.3 standard, um, which is taking a little bit longer to get going, but we're seeing that um, those two standards are really going to help the industry move forward so that uh, financial institutions and other organizations can really better manage all of their keys centrally from one location. Uh, I mentioned earlier the different systems that we're dealing with, but what you really want to be able to do as an organization is manage all of your keys from one location, and what that translates into is being able to manage all of your policy from one location, right? Being able to, for example, say um, only uh, people from the finance organization can gain access to financial documents, and all the key management that's required there obviously happens um, kind of under the covers, transparent um, ultimately to the administrators and the end users. But going back to you know your main point around um, Banking. Uh, I've started to see it. I've traveled a fair amount internationally in the last couple of months, and banks are starting to ask that question around key management, and it really comes down to the, the fact that they're trying to figure out how to lock down their data, and they completely realize that if they want to be able to properly secure their data through encryption, they also need a better approach to how they, they do key management. Derek, just one last question for you. We've talked about a lot of topics here, and you've given us some great um, information. If you could boil it down to a single piece of advice, how would you counsel banking security leaders to best prepare for the challenges of 2011? So I think going back to that, that, that concept or that philosophy around taking a data-centric approach so that you've got control of your data at all times, and, and you know, part of the way that, that I look at it is really uh, looking at the information lifecycle. So not really thinking about locking down the perimeter or locking down a storage system or, or locking down a network, but really thinking of the, the boundary as the data itself. And so from the point when I create data, so if I create a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet that might have sensitive information, all the way through the point where I, I destroy the data, really ensuring that you have full knowledge and control and being able to report on who's accessing that sensitive information. That, that philosophy, I think, is, is where uh, financial institutions need to be thinking as, as they go forward. Um, you can't always predict you know, what the next big attack will be in the financial community. But, you know, to, to the point earlier, if, if you're protecting the data, um, you, at least you'll have very fine-grained control over that information. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of disruptive technologies. We talked about cloud computing. A lot's happening in the mobile space right now. If you look at, you know, I, obviously new versions of the iPhone, Android, um, Windows Phone 7 is coming out later this year. So I would say, you know, social networking, with all these new disruptive technologies, you never know what's going to happen next. But actually locking down the data is really, you know, one of the best ways of, of solving uh, a lot of the problems that we're seeing today. And then to add to that, I would, I would really recommend, you know, thinking strategically in terms of this, this data-centric or data protection approach, um, really so that your short-term tactical decisions are at least influenced by, by your longer-term goals. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at implementing technology, you're thinking that longer-term you really want to take that data-centric view that, that we've been talking about through this discussion. Derek, very good. I appreciate your time and your insights today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. We've been talking about data protection and banking and security for 2011. We've been talking with Derek Tumalak, Vice President of Product Management with SafeNet. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.